Welcome to Stall Warning, a show talking all things lacrosse. I am your host, Panchito Ojeda. Joining me today is 101 Lacrosse Northern California Director, John Murray. John, how are we doing today? Doing pretty good. Doing good. I was feeling a little bit under the weather this weekend, but feeling a lot better. Feeling a lot better now. How about yourself? I am doing well. I got a chance to catch all of the semifinals and the finals of the PLL championship series and that was awesome yeah so definitely a good weekend for lacrosse i am super bummed there's no lacrosse on now that i've been able to watch for basically three weeks in a row um and now there's no lacrosse until probably february maybe March. yeah but let's talk about lacrosse because that is something we can do but before we do that, we're going to talk about college football because uh, if you lived under a rock, you don't know this yet, but if you live in the, the digital age, you have seen there's been uh, a plethora of tweets, including reports from the Dan Patrick Show and others reporting that the Big Ten has canceled football. Uh, then there's reports from ESPN that they haven't. A- anyhow, there's been a lot of discussion about whether or not there's going to be fall football. Here's what we know. The Ivy League, the MAC and the Mountain West have all canceled fall sports. So there will be no FBS football there. We also know UConn and UMass have canceled their seasons, as well as Old Dominion in Virginia. What we don't know is what's going to happen with the ACC, SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12. A lot of that's supposed to come down today. Now, I did not grow up a college football fan. I grew up a a Washington professional football team fan. <laughs> Go Washington football team. Go Washington football. But I now being at Virginia Tech, I've certainly gotten more ingrained in the college football life, and I can tell it's a big deal to everybody. What are your thoughts on the college football season this fall? Well, I'm I'm hoping it happens. I love college football. You know, it's always um, it's always consistently more exciting than the pro game. You know, every every weekend counts. You lose one game in your college season. It's tough to make it to the national championship unless you're Alabama. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping it's happened. I've been following it along pretty closely. Growing up in New Jersey, I, we obviously didn't really have that much college football except for that one run Rutgers went on back in 2007. That was a special moment. But um, So, generally, I just like watching college football and – you know, Saturdays are the best. Just sitting back on the couch watching football all day. Saturdays are for the boys, as they say. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, <laughs> college football is, you know, I think it's an important metric. Do you think that was really funny? Yeah. Was that, yeah. That was a good joke that I just made there? Yeah. I have to pause longer so I can, everyone can hear you laugh because it's so rare that I make a good joke. Uh, the... Uh, you know, the college football, I think, is important for two reasons. One is obviously the athletes getting a chance to play, and, and you know, that's important uh, and should be weighed against their safety. But also the second part is there's the obvious, like, road to recovery process, right? And like, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating that we make uh, decisions based off of sole economics or things like that. Like, with players' safety in the safety of the citizens of the United States – uh, is the number one thing. But I certainly think college football being played or not being played is going to reflect on those two items. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, we, we're both pretty big player safety, first and foremost, kind of guys. 
Like we don't want, obviously we, we'd rather have our players safe than be at risk for college football. Um, and that brings up one of the points is like that the coaches and players are making and it's that they might be safer at school with all that structure, with practices, games, and stuff like that, then they would be at home um, left to their own devices, which I, I, I agree with. I mean, I think college kids are not making the safest decisions on their own when they're at home. And under that kind of 24-7 surveillance they have in college, definitely be safer. Yeah, it's, 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 an, interesting, it's an interesting conundrum, right? Like college students, they're adults, and they have to make adult decisions. Um, we, we use that term lightly. Uh, yeah, well, they're young, maturing adults, and mm. I think they are faced with a lot of decisions. And, you know, if we all think back to when we were that age, we know how we felt about our invincibility and, like, you know, it won't get us, it won't hurt us, we're, we'll be fine, blah, blah, blah. And so I think that there's a certain level of expectation from, you know, kind of the older generation, you know, once you've kind of graduated college and moved into the working world that you start to see some of those kind of quote-unquote errors of being youthful but but i think at the same time like are they going to actually be safer because now they're going to be playing contact sports they're going to be at school with lots of other students and they're going to be mingling with a lot of different crowds i i don't know i i have my questions on this i have my doubts but i'm not a doctor and so i'm going to trust the medical experts on this and i think everyone's I think everyone's split, and I think ultimately the only way we're going to know the right decision is going to be in hindsight. And so, unfortunately for us, that presents a lot of questions because if you play in hindsight, not playing was the right decision, that's going to have a real negative consequence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, anyhow, but both those like see college football played. Hopefully it happens. Uh, we'll see if that's how it works out once the uh, all the presidents meet. We're expecting that announcement to come down tomorrow. I would I would recommend listening to something like Pardon My Take. Uh, I'm sure they'll have some funny comments on <laughs> yeah. what happens with so. Uh, but we're not football guys, uh, although both of us aspire to be the next Peyton Manning of the NFL. Neither one of us achieved it. Uh, we are definitely lacrosse guys, and the PLL is our league of choice. Uh, we do like the ML, but PLL is our league of choice. Uh, so let's talk about the championship series, and let's recap it. We're going to start with uh, the PLL Water Dogs, the uh, partly owned by Pardon My Take. Uh, that's two plugs for that show in just five minutes. Uh, I know, they got to start paying talk? us. <laughs> Maybe they'll be our sponsor. Next. Get some of that podcast money. <laughs> what, uh, what are your thoughts on their first season? Uh, I thought it was a really good first season for water dogs they were in every game um they had kind of like two faces when they were playing well they looked really good like defensively they had good rotations offense had good ball moments but then they'd go through these stretches in each game where they just like it was hard to watch um they just couldn't get anything going on offense i don't know if it was the coaches still trying to figure out how to best use all these players we saw a lot of guys thrown in and out of the lineup um, it definitely hurt that Zach Courier got injured on the first play of the season uh, with that awesome diving goal that was counted uh, discounted. Um, I thought it was good. The, the uniforms looked great. Love the purple. 
Um, but I thought it was a good year for them. Yeah, I, th- I think it was too. I mean, they lost a bunch of close games. I agree with that. Um, I think the you know, the biggest question for the Water Dogs is going to be how do you turn that around into a better season? And I, you have to imagine the first thing they're going to do is go look at the tape from what Chrome did this year, right? Because Chrome was basically Chrome and Water Dogs uh, had the same first years, right? Chrome's first year, they went, they only won one game, lost five one goal games. Water Dogs essentially went through the first, they won one game and then they lost a bunch of one goal games. Um, mm-hmm. so I imagine they'll go kind of look at that and see what that means to know what they can do um, to kind of turn the corner next year. So, what did you think of uh, what did you think of Andy Copeland in his first year, kind of leading the charge for that group? I thought he did a pretty good job. I mean, it's never easy to step in with these guys. I think pro pro lacrosse players look like they're definitely the hardest guys to coach on the field because you're essentially co- like coaching twenty five other guys who coach full time um, and have their own ideas of what's best for the team. Like uh, having NBC Gold and being in the huddle for each um game you were able to see like sometimes coach will take a step back and let one of the players like drop a plan like i know drew snyder was doing a lot of that for the water dogs um so it's it's definitely tough stepping into the pro ranks and and coaching but i think his job was more of just finding the right guys to put out on the field at the time um i thought that he did a good job uh, changing up the goalies when needed. The, their face-off situation, their two-headed monster was really good this year. Um, but I just don't think he really found the right pieces at attack to get get enough offense to win those close games. I think defensively they were they were good, but I think it's offense with the, the big question mark with the Water Dogs. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think like McArdle, Drenner, and Cuccinella are all, and, and, and even Reeves for that matter, in Westburg. I think they're all great attackmen. They just didn't find the driving pieces, right? Like McCardle's yeah. a certain type. Like McCardle's a ball dominant attackman, and Drenner's a good off ball guy, good finisher, and those two fit together. But I don't know that McCardle is as good at creating for others as he is at creating for himself. I almost mm-hmm. feel like Reeves would have been better as the ball dominant attackman, and uh, and let kind of Drenner and Westberg work off of him, and then run McCardle and Cuccinello through the midfield. Would have been kind of like yeah. my process there, but I don't know if that would have worked. Just kind of what maybe could have been different, you know? Yeah, it was tough. I feel like Ben Reeves hasn't found his place in the pro game yet. I, I mean, I still think he had arguably one of the best senior seasons ever. His, uh, he was unstoppable at Yale, and we still see that when he drives a lefty on those big sweeping motions, but that's kind of his only thing he has right now, and I think he needs to develop his game to be a little bit better balanced. Uh, but at the end of the year, they they had Drenner coming out of the box um, at midfield, and he was hardly getting a playing time. It was kind of weird to see. Um, I really like Cuccinello's game. I think he's kind of a, that guy who could take your second or third defender to the rack and score, but doesn't need the ball in his stick all the time to be super productive. You know, it would be interesting to see if uh, the Water Dogs traded Reeves to – the archers for a guy like maybe a Joey Sankey or a Christian Mazzone. Mm-hmm. Cause I think like, I mean, obviously I think on paper that sounds bad for the archers, right? Cause like, Oh, Ben Reeves hit three points last year. Not, not great. But what I think is like 
Reeves at attack with with Ament and so you have Ament, Holman, Reeves, and Manny. I think you have four attackmen that can run. You can say fresh all game at attack, and you can certainly run more Reeves, and he can be a more ball dominant carrier opposite Ament sometimes. I think it could be good. Maybe not. Maybe it's too much attack, but just a thought. Uh, so, anyways, the Water Dogs good first year. Certainly a good start um, to their career as a pro team. Uh, but moving on, the probably the biggest decision made in the Chaos Run. Uh, that was talked about a little bit, but I didn't hear a ton on it. But probably the hardest thing to do as a coach was when Andy Towers benched Connor Fields um, to to change things up on the chaos offense. And it seemingly paid off in a run to the championship game. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Connor Fields had a breakout, at least for the pro game, breakout year last year where he pretty much established himself as one of the best attackmen in the world. Um, and capable of carrying a pro team. But things just didn't really click this summer for him. He was just a turnover machine and kind of a black hole where the ball would come in and just wouldn't come out. Um, And once they made that change and put him on the bench, we saw a lot more flow to their offense, a lot more ball movement, a lot more dodge, pass, pass, dodge um, offense. And, you know, they were able to get two wins before, you know, losing to the whip snakes but their offensive production and just the the look of their offense looked a lot better without him on the field which is crazy because he's he's i'd say he's he's the most talented attackman on that team yeah i i you and i have talked about this a number of times and i told you i did not watch as much of the uh group play as i did this the finals the semis the finals and the in the uh, first round game but I said that I did not think that the change of moving Connor Fields off was that as impactful as you mentioned. So they they essentially had the first game against Chrome and then the first three quarters against Archers, and not even the whole first third quarter, really just the first like five minutes. So in my opinion, they had six and a little bit over quarters of kind of good lacrosse without him, and then they had six quarters of, of not very good offensive lacrosse without him. And – I think ultimately it's just the way they the way that they play is they're they're kind of feast or famine, right? Like they they rely a bit on transition, they rely a bit on the box style with the stats line with Austin stats, Kevin Buchanan, and uh, who's the third guy on that line? That Dane, Dane Smith. Dane Smith, yeah, with that group, and then they you know, and then the other group is the Fercaro group, which is kind of the big big dodging downhill. Picaro, uh, Salcedo, and Eric Scott. Uh, uh, you know, I think they just th- just the way they play. It's kind of feast or famine. They, they and that seemed to be their whole season, right? Like they could not get consistent production. So I think mm-hmm. I give Powers a lot of credit for being willing to take a chance of benching a really good player who wasn't playing well. Uh, but ultimately, I think that Connor Fields is someone who should be on the field for them. And I think that the I would like to see. Coach Towers bring him in late in the fourth quarter when they hadn't scored a goal since almost like you know two minutes into the third. Why not? Yeah. The fourth yeah, I was waiting for that too. Kind of like the spark plug off the bench. Like, hey, we need something to happen. Let's give it to one of the best. Like one on like their their entire team last year, who they were the regular season champs, was Connor Fields making stuff happen on offense. Um, and he wasn't that productive in group play, but 
you know, exhaust all your options if if it's not working for you um, in a championship game. Got to go for broke and throw them out there. Yeah, but I mean, I think also like it was cool to see Josh Byrne kind of come out of his shell, right? Like all of a sudden he became a huge player, had a heck of a run going towards the the final, the end of it. And then Curtis Dixon was, you know, Curtis Dixon, just awesome and even better than we really realized. Yeah. So, you know, the big question for the for the chaos, what do you think is going to happen with Punter Fields? Is he does he come back next year and play with them, or do they have to trade him away? Oh, I'm looking to trade him if I'm if I'm yeah. chaos. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I was looking. I think Water Dogs is probably your best landing spot. I would do Water Dogs or Atlas. I don't know if he really fits an Atlas with Pinnell, but I think he could be the guy on the Water Dogs attack. Now, what the Water Dogs would have to give up to get a guy like that, it'd probably be a draft pick, a high draft pick, um, and probably um, a midfielder or defender. But that's that's what I would try to do on it. I don't know who does the trades for the PLL. Like, do these teams have general managers, or does the PLL just decide we're going to trade these guys because they're all owned by the league? Well, I don't know what you do there because, like, obviously it's not Paul Rabel, right? He would always make some make some. Yeah, I would love to see Paul Rabel be like, "I'm going to the whips, thanks. I'm going to win some games." That's funny. I don't know who does the trades for him. I couldn't tell you. I, I I think it's the coaches. I think the coaches do that stuff. I think so too. I think so too. I feel like Connor Fields has to. Could he end up with the Chrome and kind of replace Ned Crotty? Um. See, I I think the Chrome are happy with Wolf and Gutterding, and then an off-ball guy like Audet. Like I think that that's that's their lineup going forward. Yeah, okay, I, I agree with that. We'll come back to the Connor Fields trade decision on a, a later day. Okay? Yeah. And we're going to take a, a quick turn from our our uh, our planned conversation. We're going to talk about Mac Audette, and we're going to talk about what happened. So first, before we talk about it, I'm going to make a statement uh, about, about it from a perspective that I think everyone needs to listen to, which is that we should all realize that chirping does happen on the field. It's 100% a part of almost any sporting game that you can participate in and all of us coaches, players, parents, fans realize that the reason why Matt got that got such a backlash. And the reason why he should be apologizing and he should not have been doing what he was doing is that he chirped someone on national television. And the reality is, is that should not be something that is explained to kids. Uh, Kids who are watching him are looking up to him and whether you like it or not, you're a role model. Uh, Charles Barkley taught us all that 25 years ago. And so, you know, for Matt Gaudette to, you know, kind of turn a blind eye is just a very youthful thing as a dad and someone who watches it and watches it with my kids. I can tell you right now, they would have been like, oh, why did he say that? That wasn't nice. And I'm going to have to explain that. And it's just not something that we should have to explain to kids. They're looking up to these guys as role models. With that said... The question I have for you is, do you think Matt Gaudette's chirping cost Chrome a chance to go forward? Oh, uh, I think it propelled them, actually, because um, they won that Redwoods game because Matt Gaudette chirped and he took like three minutes of penalty time from the other team. He sure did. 
and they kind of won that game. And if Redwoods don't have like two or three minutes of penalty times, they probably they probably win. Um, I mean, Chrome was still one and done, um, but in the playoffs. But I mean, they get the number two seed because they win that Redwoods game. And I don't think they red- win that red- Redwoods game if Matt Gaudet doesn't run his mouth and they do that. I think that's also another lesson you take from this is if there is a guy running his mouth, uh, you beat him by just scoring more goals than his team that's and right. not you know, cross-checking him in the back of the neck when he's down. Um, not a good look for the sport when I was watching that. I think, I think that upset me more than the, the, the trash-talking. Was what uh, Apple did like that? The retaliations are always always worse than the actual crime, right? Yeah, always. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Mac deck trash talking it was bad. Um, it's not nearly the worst thing I've heard. Playing playing pretty crappy Division Three lacrosse in New England, you hear probably the best trash talking. Right. Um, you're gonna get. Uh, and I don't know. I think it's part of the game. Um, I like it. I'm a big trash talker. Um, it gets me going. It, it just makes it more fun. Um, but it's, a, it's all in good light. I think that what he kind of crossed the line was kind of like attacking Blaze and, you know, telling him he sucks and stuff like that. But I mean, he knows and everyone else knows Blaze is one of the best, best goalies on the planet. And he's playing his best across right now. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's funny the 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 chirping, the good-natured chirping uh between friends is always something good. You know, I love to see that, right? You you do mm-hmm. buddies. Every young man does that and they learn their way through that and parents are are happy to help teach kids that stuff. The the difference is none of us are chirping anybody on national television. And the second yeah. is none of us are so unoriginal to just say what was said. You know? <laughs> uh that was very boring, uh not original and yeah. not cool. And you know, here's the thing. So I think it actually costs the Chrome down the road. I think you're right. They win the Redwoods game because everyone was so upset and up in arms. They just kind of they lo- everyone else lost their cool. But I think ultimately the chaos get to see them in the first round of the playoffs. And like if you don't think that that team wasn't prepared to come out and prove and say, you know what, not only is Blaze the best, but we're gonna make sure we stick it to you guys. Like they did. And I've caught up now. I'm in episode. I'm starting episode nine tonight of The Last Dance, mm-hmm. and just like with Michael Jack, uh, Michael Jordan, and the whole B.J. Armstrong thing with the Charlotte Hornets. Like, why wake? Why poke the bear? Why wake them up? Like, yeah, the chaos wasn't playing. Forty five isn't twenty three. Forty five isn't twenty three. Why say that? Right? Like, why say that? It's just I don't know. Anyways, the Mac all that stuff was interesting at, at best, um, but uh, I. I I'm interested to see what I was just interested to hear what you thought in terms of its effect on the long, long yeah. for Chrome. Um, so let's let's kind of revert back to what we had. So Whipsnake's dominance. It, well, what makes the Whips so good? And why are they winning all their games? Defense, faceoffs, and defense. I think. Um, I think they have the best collection of uh, uh, LSMs, uh, close defenders, and short stick D mids um, by. A relatively large margin. I think Redwoods are close um, to them, but I think Whipsnakes just from, you know, they all played Maryland um, together. They had that chemistry. Uh, they have a Maryland goalie in net. Um, I think just defensively, they're just better than everyone. 
and they don't make a lot of the same stupid mistakes on offense that a lot of other teams. I think they play smarter. They protect the ball a little bit more. They're not as turnover heavy. Um, they play very Maryland-esque lacrosse. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's hilarious to watch. You know, like, do you remember years back before the shot clock um, and even before the time we're on, everyone would be so upset with Maryland because they would just play offense for like, you know, two minutes and they would never shoot. And everyone's like, oh, it's terrible. And it's like, well, no, they haven't beaten their guy yet. They haven't got an open shot, so they're just not shooting, which is really smart. And, you know, everyone's up in arms, and it's like, well, I don't understand why I do this. Well, all those guys are now in the pros, and that's, like, basically what they do. They just yeah. play really smart offense and really smart defense. And, you know, Bern Lohr's the best goalie in the country, in the world. I mean, I know you you think Blaze is, but I think Bern Lohr's the best. And, uh, I mean, yeah. By the way, when we were talking about the whiffs, remember we mentioned Tim Muller and Matt Dunn, and we're like, oh, those guys are definitely the two best. Do you realize we didn't even mention Bryce Young, who might have been yeah. the best? Who was the cover guy? <laughs> yeah, insane. He's yeah. a beast. I mean, Muller, Young, Dunn, then they have Earhart at LSM, and Ty Warner, TJ Comizio, and Jake Bernhardt at short 60 mid. Like, that's – like, find the weakness. Well, the, the, the probably the worst one of that is going to be Camizio, and he's really good. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think their defense, and then Nardella just showing up with a face-off dot. Yeah. Just, just, Smoking no. everyone this year. Yeah. And then, do you see did you see his tweet afterwards? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, man, go check it out. It was, it was great. Uh, so, I got this. Whip Snakes led the, the championship series in goals. Goals against... Face-off percentage, save percentage, and ground balls per game. Pretty good numbers. Uh, that might be why they're champions. <laughs> Six and zero. Yeah. But back the, to back. The most interesting part of the Whips run was obviously they were dominant in pretty much every game except for two. Right, the the game against the Redwoods in the semifinals. Uh, Stag mm-hmm. set. You know, they thought this team was under a lot of pressure. I agree with that. You could tell they were gripping the sticks a little bit. And and that's going to happen, right? And they were able to find a way to go forward. But then in the final game the against the Chaos, they they go down 6-2. It's so late in the third quarter. And, you know, personally, I'm watching the game, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh. Like, they can't this, win the yeah. matchup offense. And I, I, I felt like they could make a comeback because they knew they'd win another dot. But I was like, you know. I, I I thought in my head if chaos gets to eight, it's it's over. You know, if chaos gets to eight, it's over. And yeah. all of a sudden, they scored they scored nine goals. Well, they went on ten goals unanswered. But well, it was like goals. it was like five in two minutes. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. I didn't even know they could do that. I mean, you knew they give you a gut punch, but man, that was bananas. And they did all that with Rambo. Did he scored one out of that whole trip? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That was insane. All right, well, let's go to our league awards for the year. Uh, these are very officially unofficial. <laughs> uh, so the only official one is the MVP was Zed Williams. That was already announced. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go to the Eamon McEnany Attackman of the Championship Series. John, who you got? So I had Grant Eamon, um for the Attack of the Year. I feel like he kind of bursted onto the scene, and when you're playing with two other established pros on your attack lineup like Marcus Holman – and Will Manny, and you kind of just suck all their production away. Um, you're 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 pretty good, um, and I felt like 
as far as like a well-rounded attackman from a dodge scoring and feeding, I felt like he was the best one this year where I think if he, if he doesn't have Tom Schreiber on his team and he gets a load of Tom Schreiber's touches and um, dodges, his numbers could have been a lot more. I feel like he was the best guy this year. Yeah. I mean, Eamon was certainly Eamon and Costco were rookies of the year. I'd put him as co-rookies of the year because they're both incredible. Um, I think Amen was definitely – he's one of the top three attack in the league. Uh, I'm going to go a different route than you, though. I'm going to give it to Josh Byrne. Uh, he stepped up when his team needed it. He was incredible. He had the coolest goal in the entire series of the jump man uh, between the legs goal. Yeah. Was, and, you know, it, even though his team didn't win the championship, the fact that they made it that far was in large part due to his production on offense. And, I don't know, I just thought he had a great – a great year and should be recognized for that. Um, so I like Josh Byrne. Uh, from the defense of the Dave Petromala, defenseman of the of the championship series, uh, we agree that there's not one that we can give it to. It just goes to the Whips defense. Yeah. They're all incredible. They stopped everybody. Nobody could score on them. Any more commentary needed? I think you covered it all. Actually, you know what? You gave a stat to me yesterday. Oh, Maybe yeah. The worst, what was it? The so they led the league in goals um, against, so they only gave up eight point five, but were also bottom of the league and caused turnovers. So they weren't really causing a lot of turnovers; they were just playing good defense. And I just love that stat because I don't think caused turnovers is a good indication of good defense. Yes, you are correct, and that is how young defensemen develop bad habits because they get rewarded for going for these hero checks. Uh, the George Boyardi short stick defensive committee of the championship series. That's a mouthful. <laughs> that is a mouthful. I'll go first. I got Dominic Alexander of the Archers. He's a beast. Uh, I love his game. I thought he played great this year. Uh, good in transition, getting the ball up the field. He's a shutdown short stick D-midi. I think there's a number of guys that could fit this mold, so I'm not really sure if He's a hands-down favorite. I think there's probably two or three options here, but I, I just thought mm-hmm. he played really well for Archers. Yeah, I had uh, Jack Near for the from the Redwoods. I felt like he's kind of combination of good defense, obviously, but his transition and um, instant offense on the other end, I thought was a real game changer for the Redwoods, whether he was able to just stay on the field and keep an offensive guy on or just dodge that guy to the rack and score. Um, I think puts him a step above Dominique Alexander. Sure. And then the Brody Merrill LSM of the year. You know, it'd be awesome if Brody Merrill won this one year. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure he's going to, but uh, he was a stud this year, and he's great in the leadership. By the way, side note, Brody Merrill played for which team last year? He played for Chaos last year. That's, that's right. And I think Ryan Boyle made a great point. We said, I think one of the things chaos are missing is Brody Merrill's leadership, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, so, but LSM of the year, who you got? I got Michael Earhart. Uh, I think he was just pure dominance all around. I think he might have been the best offensive LSM as well this year. Those uh, two bombs he had against the Redwoods in the semis were huge. Um, but just a stud. Like, he's a monster. He's 6'5", like 220, uh, and runs like a horse. Yeah, like I like Michael Earhart. Mine, my, my, to me, it's a hands down. I'm surprised that uh, I was kind of surprised when he didn't say his name. 
and that's Scott Ratliff. I think he's clearly the best LSM in, in the league right now. Uh, I think Earhart's number two behind him, but Ratliff's just great on defense, causes havoc. He's incredible on offense, has great vision. He had one of the coolest pe- assists to Will Manny uh, on that backdoor cut. Incredible goal for the Archers in the first round. Um, so I, I just love his game. Thought he was awesome. The Paul Cantabene face-off, get-off. Uh, this is a no-brainer. It's going to be Nardella. If it's anyone yeah. else, that's just not right. Uh, and then we have the Gate Brothers midfielder of the year. You have a guy. I don't have a guy. I could not think of one guy. <laughs> but it's not uh, mine. That's that's the only thing you decided. I love your guy. I think he's a great player. But I just feel like there's so many middies that had a lot of good years. I, I love Cockerbill. I thought he was great. I thought uh, Picaro was great from Chaos. Um, you know, those are probably my Perkovic. top two. Schreiber and Perkovic would be my kind of next two. Um, I, I guess if I if you if I had to choose, I would probably go with Costabile just because he was, you know, rookie played great, and I think he was the only reason the Atlas were doing anything. I mean, unfortunately for him, I think Rabel and Busick and in that group just they haven't jived yet. I mean, they're all talented players. They just have not quite yeah. figured out. The, they haven't figured out the secret sauce for their team. Yeah. Um, I, see, I think it's I think it's Tom Schreiber, and then there's everyone else. I think he just plays at a different speed, um, has just everything you'd ever want from a midfielder, um, and his production was there. I mean, he produced more than any other uh, midfielder. Um, I think when he's – I mean, when he comes out of the box into that dodge, I mean, that's just a – Again, I haven't seen anyone else play at that speed. Sure. Maybe we saw a little bit with Grant Amen dodging. Um, but, like, from a midfield standpoint, like, again, it's just a different level. Sure, sure. I mean, I think we all agree Tom Schreiber is one of the best players in the in the world and probably overall midfielder, probably the best. I just meant more in this championship series. There's yeah. some other guys I thought were maybe better fitting for this award. Not, not so much like, oh, if you had to give me what's the top midfielder in the world, it would be Schreiber for sure. Um, and then the last is the Oren Lions goalie of the year. You can go first. I had Blaze Reardon. I think he uh, stood on his head the whole time, even though uh, the chaos let in a few goals. I think he, I mean, he had 119 saves and the next highest was 83. Um and he didn't even have the highest save percentage, so he's getting shelled and making no saves. Um, I saw a great highlight of him. I don't even know if goalies are taught this, but that Rambo highlight goal where he catches it inside, sidesteps Ocello, and scores. Did you see that one? I don't think so. Well, in the clip, Blaze, who's a normal left-handed goalie, switches to his right hand as Rambo crosses the crease like topside as a lefty to kind of cover up more than that. I thought like that was crazy to watch. I think he's, uh, he's playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. Oh, man. That's a good line. That's a good line. Uh, I will take the champion goalie, Kyle Barnlore. Uh, I think he's to this day remains the most underrated goalie in the world. Uh, he is, all he does is make incredible saves and win. Yeah, and win. And there's nothing, you know. I mean, I look back to 
I look back to, I mean, this is not obviously related to the championship series, but you remember when he was at Maryland? He made the most incredible save in, in the regular in, in regular time. Yeah. Time. Made the, the greatest series of saves ever. And is like. That man. UNC, what was it, the overtime or fourth quarter save? I think it was an overtime save. It wasn't an overtime game? I thought it was in, in the in the fourth to, to send it to overtime. Whatever it was, that, that was, yeah. In midair. Arm over hand, it was yeah, probably the best yeah. save of all time. Yeah, and and I think uh, you know the the key for him thing, the key for for him that stood out to me was uh, just his consistency. You know the the whips were up and down on offense, but in the championship game in particular, you know they were basically dreadful on offense for a, quite a bit of that time. Mm-hmm. And, you know he was just consistent, like just nothing easy. You had to shoot the perfect shot to score and the chaos didn't. And so he kept his team in the game and you know, ultimately made it made it so they could come back. I mean, they obviously could have let in a few more goals, but I think if they're down by six or seven, it's a different feeling than if you're down by four and, you know, burn Lord, burn Lord is the reason for that. I mean, obviously defense played well, but the chaos had some good opportunities and he's, he's time. So um, I'm a huge, huge burn Lord fan. And I think he's a underrated goalie. So, but he and Blaze are both fun. And interesting fact, they're both lefties. So, uh, but anyways, let's move on to wrap this thing up with some, any off-season moves. Let's just talk about the Atlas and the Water Dogs, two bottom bottom teams, bottom finishers in the in the championship series. You know, give me a move that the Atlas need to make to help them get better. Draft Michael Sowers. <laughs> Michael Sowers over PD. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think they, I, I think they have the number one pick, so I don't think they go, um, who's the faceoff guy? TD. I don't think they go TD because they have Trevor Baptiste. Um, I mean, they might just so other teams don't have him. Um, but I think offense is really what they need to improve upon. I think they just need to score more goals. I think defensively they were not great obviously they were second worst i mean they were the worst offensive team and second worst defensive team um so i think yeah i would take sours out of the draft maybe look to move an older piece how does sours fit though with their attack i mean i don't don't disagree with you i I would agree with sours is a good pick but i think if you draft sours you need to trade somebody yeah you trade now you trade eric law or you need to trade um a midi and bump bump one of your attacking off the midfield because I don't see any way like Sowers and Pinnell have similar games. They're both ex attacking generally speaking. I don't know how you deal with that. So I would probably say you trade Pinnell and try to get a, a piece for him. So I'd package up a deal like I trade a Pinnell and Hartzell for like a Michael Earhart and yeah. you know and then maybe a well and then here you go like Rob like. You get a younger Rob Pinnell with Sowers. And I think after seeing what Grant Amit was able to do um, as a rookie, I think Sowers can recreate that. Yeah, for sure. So pick Sowers and make a trade. That's what we need to do. That's what I would do. Yeah, if I'm, like if I'm head coach of Atlas, if I'm Ben Rubier. And what do the Water Dogs need to do? Whew. So Water Dogs, Yeesh. Um, 
I still think they they look to improve offense as well. Uh, I think their their defense was pretty good. They had the third ranked defense in the league this year, but they need to get more offense going. Um, and whether that's drafting um, a player out of college with the top with this number two pick, um, got to improve that offense. Find the right pieces. Maybe ship Ben Reeves for another offensive piece since he wasn't really fitting in your offense, and I still think he's got good value. Um, Got to find the right pieces for that attack unit. Yeah, I, I actually kind of disagree with you here. I, I think that that team, I think they have the right pieces in place. I think they need to figure it out with what they have. Um, I wouldn't make any changes there. What I would do is I would draft a, I would try to get an LSM, or a cover, uh, a cover D-man. Because I think that Brody Merrill is getting to, you know, he's going to be retiring soon. He's great. And, like, you don't – I don't think you push him out. He's, he's an amazing guy. But um, I think you need to look at that. So I'd either go for that guy or I'd go for a midfielder because I don't think they have a midfielder beyond Connor Kelly. Um, and Zach mm-hmm. Courier can really be a creator on their own. Drew Snyder's awesome as a third guy. So I think him opposite Kelly and Courier was a good fit, but I think like on second line like Macintosh, Ipe, and Denapoli, you know which one of those guys really scares you? I mean Macintosh has shown some signs of being incredible, but I haven't seen it consistently. So yeah. I think if you get a midi out of college, that would be like a, a Doc Aiken. Yeah, Doc Aiken or um, isn't Matt Morgan a senior? Right, he played midfield for a little Matt while. Matt Morris, yeah, he's. He, yeah. Um, what's the guy at Villanova? Connor Kirst? Is that his name? Yeah. I mean, he would be great at uh, any of those guys. I think are good, good additions as well. Just cause, like they have the goalie situation. DeLuca Cipriani is great. Um, I think defensively, you're right. They have good defensemen. I like BJ Grill. I like Sabia. I like Foley. Brody's on his. Brody Merrill's kind of towards the end of his career, and Ryland Reese is is awesome. Um, but one more guy there would be a good fit, or a midfielder. Those are kind of the two mm-hmm. choices, I think. I think you leave the attack alone. It. Um, oh, and I left my. I forgot my guy Noah Richard from Marquette. Shouldn't forget him. You forgot your Marquette guy. I did. Um, Isn't BJ Girl Marquette too? Yes, he is. How about that? How about that? How about the Marquette players? Let's go. Um, that's another. Uh, maybe they can go get Ryan. Uh, oh my gosh, Ryan McNamara. I think he's playing the ML right now. But anyhow. Any other any other thoughts for the people before we let them go? It's been a long show today. Um, another side note: uh, Nicosello has been dropping some uh, all PLL lists on Twitter. If you haven't checked those out, he's got his uh, guy you'd want on your side in a bar fight team. Your got good guys to have a beer with team, and then your all thick boys team. Um, pretty good rankings. Uh, pretty funny stuff. If you haven't seen those, go check those out. I heard his all podcast teams coming out, and we both made the team. <laughs> That'd be nice. Uh, Nick, if you want to come on the show, we'd love to have you. That's true. Yeah, we'll, maybe, maybe we'll uh, let's, let's make sure we tag him in our, in our tweet about it. Um, all right, cool. Well, for, for John, I am Ponchito. Thank you for listening today. As always, like, review, subscribe to the pod. Uh, give us some feedback we want to hear from you. Uh, you can follow us on social media. 
get a point to give us a call this week. We are dropping a PLL Redwood Shaft. Next time, peace out.